Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we reopen old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. I'm Beth. <laughs> and, and this week we don't have a guest. <laughs> we sure don't because this is our last episode. La- well, no, it's, it's our first episode of the new the year, first actually. Because yeah. technically this is coming out on... January 1st of 2024. So from the past, Happy New Year. <laughs> and we are talking about uh, our favorites of 2023. Recapping the year and talking about our favorite stuff and lending with our top tens. So yeah. as a reminder, made it. this is going to be the order before we jump in. Uh, we're going to talk about our festival favorites slash things to keep an eye out on that have not come out yet. Talking about our favorite discovery on Little Cuts, our favorite main feed uh, discoveries, thoughts on the year, favorite moments, uh, movies that didn't make the cut, but we still want to give some love to, and then our top 10. Uh, so we're going to be covering a lot of shit, and I'm very excited. I am uh, because too. Because this year feels like two million thousand years. It does. We were kind of joking offline <laughs> about how we couldn't remember what movies came out this year, and it, it feels like... Some of the movies that we saw at the beginning of the year uh, was like three years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like Skin of Marine came out this year. I know. I had to like look up what? a few movies that um that we both, I believe, we saw last year. And I was like, wait, am I getting this wrong? Did they actually come out last year? <laughs> Wild. But here we are. I know. Yeah, exactly. And then like things that I saw in 2022 came out this year and I have gotten all sorts of fucked up and I can't wait to find out what I forgot uh, forgot when we talk today because I guarantee you I have forgotten at least three things. And oh, you know what? same. That's fine. I'm excited. I think we're going to have a lot of different... Our top tens are going to be very different, I think. I do think so. I think there will be some overlap, yeah. but I do think I, there's going to be yeah. some differences. <laughs> I was making it and I'm like, ooh, mine's really and I, I I'm usually pretty weird, but my list is weird this year, so I'm excited. Oh, is it really? I'm excited. I think it's I think it's weird, but it might it might not even actually be that weird, but whatever. Um I just want to be different. Evil Dead Rise, scream! <laughs> Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sorry. No hate that is not hate to anyone who has this on their list, by the way. I am just saying, I'm making fun of myself, saying I have esoteric picks, and then those are my mainstream picks. There's been so much discourse about people's top tens. I'm just like, I'm not making fun of anyone, please. I swear to God, I don't care what's on your top ten. Please, don't come for me. I am but a tired, I was gonna say, you just, woman. like, threw out my top three of the year. There's nothing wrong with them! They're not bad movies! Anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. <gasps> <gasps> Uh, anyway, let's, let's just like start this off chill. What? Yeah. What are your favorite festival things? I have my old fashioned. I'm ready to. 
I have a weed pen and a coffee. (laughs) Hell yeah, the two genders. Um... (laughs) (laughs) And that was a joke. Gender is, is a construct... And there are infinite, but still. And I just just shot iced coffee out of my nose, which is... (laughs) I know, it was really funny. Anyway. (laughs) What... So what are some what are some things you're excited for for next year that we want people to keep an eye out for? Well, so there's one that I'm actually really surprised has not come out this year. And I'm just I'm like, because I haven't heard anything after I saw it at a festival. And it's produced by um, a company that does a lot of indie films. So I figured I figured at least it'd be on Shutter this year. But Trim Season. <gasps> yes, that's also on my list. I know that they're looking for distribution, but they're really hoping for 420. That's not confirmed okay. at all. But I'm so fucking excited for people no, to see Trim Season. Uh, yeah. I cannot wait to make Trim Season my entire personality. Yeah, and I can't wait. We need to get Ariel on the podcast when that movie yes. is coming out. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Suspiria <laughs> in a weed field. What more do you need, really? Like, it's just so good. And, like... The main witchy villain is so weird, and it's, ugh. Camp. Wow. It's just incredible. It's such good vibes. Ugh. We don't see enough stoner chicks in horror. Like, we don't see enough stoner chicks, and I was very excited to see a movie about stoner chicks. Yeah. What a, it was a great cast, great, fun movie. Uh, I'm excited for it to finally come out, hopefully on 420 next year. (laughs) That would be so nice. It would be. I have a lot. I, so oh, I so, did, so do I. I have so many. So you probably have that, more. I saw so much shit this year. Um, oh, I thought I saw a lot of shit this year. And then people are like, I logged a thousand movies. And I'm like, I've never seen a movie in my life. So I guess. What's a movie? Um, <laughs> who? There are some really, really good ones that I'm so fucking stoked for people to see. Um, Frogman is one of the ones I cannot wait for people to see. That is the found footage cryptid movie about the Loveland Frogman in Ohio. And And you saw that out of popcorn, right? Yes, I saw it out of popcorn. And I was stoked because it's it's creature feature found footage, which we all know I love. And Mm -hmm. it's... um, Oh my god, I totally just I actually I've totally just blanked on his name. But it is his um feature film debut. He's done a lot of shorts, Anthony Cousins. He's done shorts like I think we've had he's done he did some stuff in Scare Package. Yeah. He also did the um the short called it's got a really long title. Um Every Time We Meet for Ice Cream, your whole fucking head explodes. And so he does a lot of like <laughs> ridiculous stuff, but this right. is like a really interesting found footage movie about cryptids and I'm so stoked for people to for it to come out. I'm I'm hoping it's next year. So I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, I've been excited ever since you talked about it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then just like following that another found footage movie that I'm super stoked to come out is Mind Body Spirit, which is about uh the yoga influencer who moves into her dead grandma's house and is like vlogging something happening to her. And I saw that out of Panic Fest, I believe. And I love how they use, like, the kind of vlogging format and also how they use, like, Eastern European uh, folklore for the possession rather than, like, your traditional possession story. And um, I really like how they handled influencer culture 
as well. Mm. So I'm really stoked for that to come out. I just released, I'm plugging my shit, I just released the best found footage of 2023 list on Dread Central, and I mentioned a couple of these in that list at the end because they're not out yet, but I really want people to keep an eye out because they're really cool found footage movies that I'm hoping get an audience next year. Hell yeah. Yeah. Another, I mean, keeping with the found footage vibe, Tontine, which is a movie that who knows if anyone's ever oh, going to be able yeah. to see. yeah, that's right. That we both okay. saw it unnamed. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I saw that on the list and I, I, I was looking at the my letterbox and I was like, does that count? Like how, like where does that fall? <laughs> like in yeah. terms of things, but like, that was so good. Movie from the early, the early aughts that mm-hmm. was a, um, a riff on like Survivor where shit goes, goes down and it never got a release. And it was really cool to see in a movie theater. Like, it's really good. And I'm really sad that it doesn't have a release. I feel like the amount of people that showed up to that screening, too. Like, it was, like, Survivor people, like, packed in there. It was Mm -hmm. nuts. It was really cool. Yeah, it was, like, one of my favorite experiences at a festival this year. Watching in a festival. That was really cool. It was really cool. That was really fun. I had, God, there are so many cool things coming out next year, y'all. Like, I'm so, like... In so many different ways. Another one that I'm really, really excited for people to see is called New Life. I saw it out of Fantasia. And okay. it's um about a... It's about two stories. The government fixer and a woman who is on the run from this government fixer. And their stories kind of are like running towards each other until they intersect. And at the intersection, it's like, oh my fucking God, that is what's happening here. And then it all kind of just becomes this like fascinating meditation on choices. And I don't want to give too much away because it's like, it's one of those movies that you don't want to know about, but it's really well done. It's really well written and well paced and the characters are amazing it's a really cool example of a male director really knowing how to direct female and create cool female characters. So that is what I'm really excited for people to see, hopefully next year. Um, All I know is the director is really cute. And he, <laughs> I'm looking up his IMDb information. Because <laughs> I remember yeah, you talking he, about this movie because it has Sonia Walger. Yeah. Walger? Yeah, yeah, she Penny that, from Lost slash in For All Mankind, I think, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it's... It was something that, like, Kayla Heyer, um, friend of the pod, had told it, said, like, you really need to check this out. And I was like, all right, fine. And I was so glad that I did because it's really, it's something special. So I'm excited for people to uh, finally get to hopefully see it next year. Yeah, I'm really excited to see that one after you were talking about it. Yeah, I don't know where it's going, but hopefully somewhere soon. Yeah, hopefully. Um, another one that I'm I'm looking forward for people to see that we again saw at Unnamed Foot Footage Festival is Tinsman Road by Robbie Van- Banfitch, yes! his follow-up to The Outwaters. We saw a workman print of it, and it, it needs a little bit of editing, but um, I'm really excited Robbie, for it. please work on it. Stop procrastinating. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, it is really good. It is very late. Completely different though. from The Outwaters. Very different. Um, much more traditional i mm-hmm. i think is the best way to describe it but very lake mungo uh so yeah. if y'all like so yes i'm excited for that one to come out uh okay i talked about i'm getting into all the stuff i saw at fantastic fest now is like this lump so fantastic fest had so much good shit 
and a lot of it came out this year, but there's a lot that hasn't come out yet. Uh, my favorite from Fantastic Fest was Stop Motion. The Robert Morgan stop movie about a stop motion animator played by Aisling, uh, Francoisi. I'm so sorry. I'm so bad at Nate. This is her name. But she's plays a stop motion artist who basically kind of spirals. And while it could be your typical, like, oh, artist goes crazy, it subverts that in really fascinating ways. And it's really gross. And, like, it just mm-hmm. kind of hits all of your senses in terms of, like, it feels like you can smell it and taste it. And it's just oh, so one of those, gross. Okay. Yeah, it's supposed... I, I, it's hitting theaters in February, I believe. Um, but that's going to be a shutter later this year. Oh, cool. And I'm so excited for people to see it. It's so fucking good. I missed that one. And I'm I'm kicking myself that I did. Very excited to see it. It's very much my shit. Like, mm-hmm. gross woman does gross things. And we watch her, like, grapple with it in really interesting ways. And it's just, like, aces. Hell yeah. Love it. One from, I think it was Tribeca that I saw it at, was ISS, the International Space Station. Oh my god, I just, it's best coming out soon, I think. I it's coming out in January. About it. Okay. Yeah, that's the one um, where they're like up in the space station as like a nuclear war breaks out on Earth. And then yes. the tensions start to fray between, you know, the, the Russians and the Americans up on the space station. And it is intense and it is fantastic. And I'm so excited for it to come out. I hope it's coming. I hope it's hitting more theaters than just the the coasts because I really would like to see this one in a movie theater. It's Yeah, it sounds really like a movie good. theater movie. Like it you really wanted is. to see it in a movie theater. Yeah. Oh, I, I forgot really that, that you saw that. I remember you explain I remember you explained the plot to me and I was like that sounds like my work like that sounds like awful. Like I don't want that. That sounds like a terrible viewing yeah. experience. It's really <laughs> intense and has a great cast. That's right. Ariana Dup- Dubose, Dubose, isn't it? Yeah, and so is um, Chris Messina, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ariana Dubose, Chris Messina, John Gallagher Jr. Oh, cool. Huh. Yeah, good cast. I think this one's probably going to be on your list too. Out of Darkness, aka The yep. Origin, mm-hmm. the Stone Age horror movie that is in a completely different language that uses mm. darkness a lot. Mm-hmm. Everything about it doesn't sound like it should work, and yet it does. It is absolutely fucking gorgeous, and it's very scary at points. Yeah, really incredible use of sound design. Of of light of how oh and lack of and mostly like lack of light and it's it's something you should see in a theater if you can I know that mm-hmm. it's probably not gonna be wide theatrical but like if you have the opportunity it is a really good theater experience like I was yeah. I was lucky and I got to see it in theaters but like it's really good in theaters <laughs> yeah I saw sorry it. it's so good in theaters I know I saw it on a on a very compressed screener at home, which was kind of annoying because when you have a compressed screener, the darkness tends to have oh, artifacts in it. Ugh, it's so um, bad. But even though that was happening, I was in love with it. And I was like, man, of all the movies that I would love to see in a movie theater at Fantastic Fest, this would be at the top. It was really good. It and ISS, I think, are going to be really good independent theatrical releases that you should definitely go check out and my favorite part of seeing out of darkness in the movie theater was the ac wasn't on (laughs) and it was austin and it was hot and while technically the movie takes place like 
in the Ice Age, it definitely, like, got you immersed in the, like, oh, you don't have amenities, which was very funny. (laughs) Yeah. So. Another one that might be on your list, um, probably is, and it's the one that I think, I think it was, I don't remember if it was you or if it was Joe that that tipped me off on it, but the coffee table. Oh, yep, that was on there. Uh Uh-huh, that's, like, my number one, like, everyone needs to see this when it comes out, or... Not everybody, but a lot of people should see how it comes out. It is uh, the darkest. It's the darkest of dark comedies where only those who truly love dark comedies will be laughing. A.K.A. I was giggling like a a madman through it because it is so uncomfortable about a man and his uh, his wife and their newly born kid. And he wants his coffee table because he doesn't feel like he has anything in his life that is his. And they get into a big argument and then he buys the coffee table and then hijinks ensue because of buying it. And it is, when I tell you it is a dark comedy, it is a dark, 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 dark comedy. <laughs> it absolutely is. It's incredible. Delicious. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. When more people get their hands on it, it's going to oh. the, the Internet is going to be a fucking disaster. Uh-huh. So I'm almost hoping it doesn't get like a huge release because I do not need to be waiting into whatever people's opinions are. About oh, God. Anything with that movie. <laughs> Ugh. It's going to be bad. I will gatekeep this one, actually. I might gatekeep the coffee table. Sorry, <laughs> but I'm gatekeeping. I know. I'm, gate- I'm gatekeeping <laughs> the coffee table unless you can provide me evidence that you have critical thinking skills. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> I don't make the rules. Just kidding. Yes, I do. I mean, we saw, we saw what happened with May-December when it hit Netflix. So, I mean, this, this would be... And plus, now Prime Video is fucking memeing Gary Keegan drinking cum out of a bathtub. Like, our media literacy levels are at an all-time low. We cannot have the coffee table out here to the masses. You put that on Netflix, (laughs) there will be riots in the street. (laughs) (laughs) There really will. There will be riots in the street. But good lord. Like, there will be fights. Like, there will... Families will be ended with the discourse that movie would create. I'm being a little bit dramatic here, but, like, it just... Anyway... With the way people act, if that was available on Netflix, I feel like there would be a lot of interesting (laughs) issues and it would be a lot. But yes, regardless of that, it is an incredibly good fucked up experience that I hope many of you can experience next year. I can't wait to find out who puts this movie out. Uh, I really cannot wait to see who puts this movie out because... I mean, they'll be whoever does it is smart because it's going to be one of those like incredibly TikToked movies about like the most shocking movie you've ever seen. But yeah, can't wait for that. Uh, and then my last one from Fantastic Fest is Infested. Uh, <laughs> <spy> movie. <laughs> my least looking forward to movie of twenty twenty four. I know, I know, but um, it's coming to Shutter in, in April and. Uh, if y'all are not as terrified of spiders as Terry, get excited. It's really fucking ter- like terrifying and creepy without like the fun, fun haha comedy of uh, arachnophobia. So get fucking ready. Listen, if I could have you and Carter Smith on Zoom, I might watch it. I mean, I would do that. I would do that. That sounds like a great Carter, time. the ball is in your court. <laughs> TikTok, Mr. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, um, that's all I had. Okay, I'll more. rush through the last three. Um, falling. Oh no, 
I saw Falling Stars at Fantastic Fest. Falling Stars, which is this, oh, yeah. like, the folk horror witch movie that is just, like, really cool and, like, just a cool exercise in world building um, that I was really into. Um, All You Need Is Death. I saw that from Beyond Fest. It is a Irish cosmic folk horror that is, like, absolutely incredible. Like, the way it all, like, culminates obsessed cannot wait for more people to experience that and then last one is called auxilio the power of sin which is a rape revenge movie directed by a woman um her name's to uh to i'm so sorry um it's a spanish language film and it's about a woman who's sent to a convent to be punished and then there's a lot of gay stuff it's like non-sploitation and suspiria meet to say fuck men uh okay it's real good it's real good so yeah that's it that's all my shit hell yeah hell fucking yeah all right cool let's let's switch to um (laughs) yes our favorite little cuts discovery from this year um i will start with one that i was really excited to see after you talked about it it is la possession de altair 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 which is one that yeah altair that you really enjoyed. And I, once you were talking about it, I like just bought it from, I can't remember what company was releasing it. Uh, Was it Cauldron? Cauldron. Yep. There's so many, uh, from Cauldron and I watched it and fell in love with it. And a couple of listeners who listened to that episode have, have since watched it and really enjoyed it too. So if you haven't watched it yet, that's one that I definitely think you should go out and watch. Great found footage. Uh, creepy great great image speaking of like out of darkness and like the use of of actual darkness there is a sequence in this where you start to like realize something is in the background and it's chef's kiss it's perfect oh it's so good i need to rewatch that this year little cuts got me to finally watch all the final destination movies and i just kind of wanted to shout that out i finally saw all yeah. the Final Destinations. I'm very happy about it. I now fully understand the zeitgeist. I'm hip. I'm cool. I also watched <laughs> some really terrible shit, but I had a really good time. It is an incre- it is it's is as dumb as some of them are. It is an incredibly consistent, weird franchise, and I had a great time watching them and getting to know them. So yeah, I'm curious to see it. where they're going to go next with it. Yes, since they are I'm very excited. One. Yes, I'm. Very curious. Another one that was one of my favorites from this year. <laughs> and it's so stupid. But I had such a blast talking about Milf Manor on the podcast every week and getting to experience your reactions and also the reactions of people that were tuning in when they're Patreon members or were reacting online on social media. Horrible show, but one of my favorite moments. It's just... Yeah. It's just a lot. Wow, I forgot about MILF Manor. No, you know what? That's so funny. No, I didn't because I was watching the new season of Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip and it's all of the New York City legacy characters going to Scary Island, whatever. And I was like, we need to bring back reality TV show corner so I can talk about this because this is like my fucking Super Bowl right now and like no one understands. <laughs> Second podcast, let's talk about reality tv and i'll i'll experience it for the first time like exactly (laughs) exactly 
I also was just like, I, I know we did most of Chucky last year, but we did the series this year. Mm. And I'm so glad that I got to finally watch everything, like, get caught up and continue like to become in the cult of Chucky, like pun intended, because like, such a fucking good franchise. And I, I never mentioned this in the podcast, and I, I'll mention this now. People in Japan love Chucky, and there's really? Chucky shit everywhere. I bought a pair of Chuck of Bride of Chucky socks at a souvenir shop. Like they had Chucky shit all over Japan. Huh. There were a couple horror movies that they had always had merchandise of, and it was always Gremlins and Child's Play. <laughs> Wild. So, like, That's so random. Chucky, Chucky endures, man. Like, and I think that's incredible. And I, I mean, I see why. I still need to catch up on the new season, uh, the part one. But I it's just good. like, it's just really cool to see how this series and franchise continues to just get better and better and grow. Uh, it's just neat. It's neato. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then the the last one that I have on here for favorites, and it wasn't really a discovery, but like it's it was just so weird that we both read it at the same time, and it was so good. Our wives under the sea. The fact that we literally, (gasps) unbeknownst to each other, had started reading it and then talked about it on the same episode was just... That's so fun. Like, once again, testament to the fact that you and I are just soulmates, like, in general. (laughs) Like, once again, we share a brain. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a cheesy way, even though it sounds cheesy. It's just fucking true. Um, Yeah, wow. That's such a good fucking book. I should read that again. Just kidding. I don't need to cry again. God damn. Between that and Whale Fall, like, Quadricora was making us cry. <sighs> Jesus Christ, I forgot Giving us that. existential crises. <laughs> <laughs> you want to think about your family trauma? No? Too bad. <laughs> Too bad. In the belly of the literal beast. Hmm. Yes. Cool. My brain just totally flatlined for a second there. Jesus Christ, I am <laughs> doing great. Cool. Um, well, then, so, main feed discoveries. Yeah. So, like, our favorite episode or episodes from this year and then maybe, like, a movie that that we yeah. saw for the first time. So, there was two movies I saw for the first time this year that I was really excited about. But I do want to say that my one of my favorite episodes this year was was watching Phantasm and talking about it with Ryuhei Kitimura, who did Midnight Me Train. Oh, my God. I forgot that was this year. <laughs> yeah, that was early. That was, like, January. But I just, like, I've... It was so special for me to talk to him just because of, like, my own relationship with Midnight Me Train and, like, being able to rewatch Phantasm and, like, have such a really cool conversation about, like, dream logic and everything with him as, like, a ma- as like a big Japanese horror director and just talking about, like, how cool Phantasm is. Like, that was just such a cool conversation that was one of my favorites. He was so nice, too. So nice. So humble. So nice. The story... About coming to America and getting his first car, like just uh, what a what a good dude. Yeah, it's just a really, it's just so cool to have those kinds of conversations with people who are obviously like pretty famous and have done a lot of cool stuff. And he's just like super down to earth, and Mm -hmm. I, uh, like greatly appreciated that conversation. So yeah, yeah. So since we're going with episodes, um, I have I have three because I couldn't pick one. One of the ones is uh revisiting arachnophobia with Chrissy Fox. 
That was so fun. That was the perfect was. way for you to revisit that, though. There is it no really better. Per- there was literally no better person to have revisited this for. Like just the way it all came together with that conversation. Oh my god. Yeah, and and she and I are share um, a brain in terms of the the fear, and that was it was good to like commiserate with her and hear her stories about filming um, bury the bride and dealing with giant spiders in the desert. It was just, it was a fun episode. That was a really fun episode. I love that. Then the discoveries. I really, I loved our episode with Haley Piper, but I had never seen the blob and I finally saw the blob and now I am obsessed with the blob. So I'm so glad I finally watched it because that movie fucking rules. And that's all I have to say about that. It does fucking rule. It is. It's, it's, it's just. One of my favorites of the 80s. Like, as someone who loves The Thing so much, it really should be in the same conversations as The Thing. Like, Absolutely. It's so nihilistic and uh, Sharni. What's, oh, fuck her name. She plays the, the lead. Our, our... Oh, my God. I had it until. Ah, I just lost it. No. Shawnee Smith. Shawnee Smith, our Shawnee, Shawnee fucking Smith, incredible final girl. And also mm. in the Saw movies. I mean, she fucking rules Shawnee Smith. So it was just, thank God I got to finally see this movie and be obsessed with it. <laughs> Absolutely. The other two episodes I wanted to give a shout out to, um, one is Eraserhead with Anna Zlokovic. I was trying to um, get a clip, <laughs> load it up, and... Riverside is saying, fuck you, you're not going to play anything live. So I can't tease you with the clip. But basically, there is a moment in this episode where Mary Beth comes up with this glorious, glorious way to read what is happening in the radiator and the sperm dance. And it is, it's perfection. And I really wish Riverside would let me play it. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. I'm not wrong. (laughs) It's pretty proud of that, actually. <laughs> and then the last episode I wanted to shout out was um, the Elephant Man episode with Michelle yes. Garza Cervera. That was one discovery because I got to finally watch Elephant Man. And also, she's an incredible filmmaker. She directed oh. Placera, The Bone Woman, which we might talk about later. Who knows? Uh, and she is an incredible person and also just like our conversation about the elephant man was just so incredible and that movie is so heart-wrenching so mm-hmm. i just that was one of those episodes where i just like really appreciated the different guests we have and what we're able to discuss that was um that was my other favorite episode of the year and then for the, my my favorite discovery first time watch from this year for a made feed is like a three-way tie, and I really couldn't decide. It was between Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, <laughs> Deadly Friend, or Dr. Giggles, none of which I'd ever seen. Deadly Friend I'd never even heard of, even though it's a Wes Craven film. And what glorious, what glorious yeah, movies. Yeah, those are glorious movies. I was also thinking about how we watched uh, Time Masters. That was another contender oh, for shit. this year. Time when Masters. we watched Time Masters with Sam Barlow. Like, that oh. shit was fucking nuts. I was that so was into nuts. that shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that episode. I forgot about that movie. That conversation was so good. I was, like, trying to not fangirl out so hard for Sam Barlow. Yeah. But what a wild-ass movie. I know. All right, so now let's talk about things that have been released. We're getting into we're getting into the realm of our favorites of the year, what didn't make it. But before we kind of jump into that, let's talk about this year as like a, 
for horror as a whole. Yeah. What what are your thoughts? <laughs> Tell me. Um well, honestly, I found as I was looking back at the movies that I saw both like in festivals and releases and I was like this is really the year of found footage. Like there's so many found footage movies that came out this year that were doing some really interesting things. I'm sure we're going to talk about some of them um, as we go through this. But like, I was surprised as someone who has been very lukewarm about found footage. I was really impressed. I'm winning. (laughs) (laughs) One person at a time. I I was really impressed at some of the creativity that we saw this year, whether it's the Outwaters or whether it's Skinamarink or whether it's Chad Gets the Axe or whether it's... Hell, Hell House is new. Like, there are so many really good found footage films that show that there are new ways of tackling this well-tread filmmaking style. You're sounding like me. (laughs) 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 Sorry. It just makes me... It... My... Being a goober side, that makes me so happy because I agree. Because I, again, I put out my best found footage of 2023 list on Dread Central and... As I was looking through everything and making the list, what's so cool this year is like there's so many different things. It's not just the usual like, okay, traditional found footage, but done well. It's like screen life, hybrid found footage, um, analog horror, because I included some analog horror from YouTube because I think that's just as important mm-hmm. as whatever's coming out like from the traditional movie side. And I so I think that there's it's so cool to see the different ways that found footage is being used too. And like that diversity of found footage. And it just makes me very excited for what we're going to see in the future from that subgenre. Um, but yeah, it was a really good year for found footage, especially with found footage getting more attention too. Yeah. Thank you to the outwaters for that. Uh, I think skin and rank too, to a degree. Yeah. I think we can kind of argue back and forth if that's like, it's not technically found footage, but like it's in that weird lo-fi I consider it part of it. Yeah. Yeah. um, It uses the aesthetics of found footage for sure. Yeah. Um, Like you can argue like you don't ever see like there's no establishing of like where the camera is in the world, whatever. But it definitely taps into like the analog horror, like lo-fi, can't see anything, something's lurking in the shadows vibe. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it does feel like its own found footage. Like it is something that you would... Yeah. Toss on on a VHS and be like, I, I don't what's on this. And then you see this creepy thing and you're like, what is happening? Oh, yeah. Like, it does feel like a curse. It's a vibe. curse videotape. It definitely feels mm-hmm. like a curse videotape. The other big thing kind of loosely related to that is that it was a very queer year for horror. Yeah. Which I'm obsessed with. It was a year where a lot I could I, I'm starting to see things slowly change even more. I'm seeing way more queer horror. I'm seeing way more women directing things that are about like more complicated female characters and issues. There's more women directed rape revenge. There's more stuff tackling like intersection of queerness and femininity and queerness and masculinity. And I'm really, you know, obviously we have a long way to go, et cetera, et cetera. But we, I also, it's just really cool to see that this year, I feel like a lot of things, like, I feel this was the first year I really felt like I was seeing a kind of a change in the trajectory of indie, uh, specifically more indie horror, but also like Mm -hmm. in mainstream horror too. I mean, we had an openly trans character in Evil Dead Rise and that wasn't really a big part of the movie. We're looking at motherhood. What for 
through a rather kind of reductive lens, but we're not here to talk about that right now. Um, but like Talk to Me was a big movie this year and that had a tra- like a queer lead like a queer lead character and you know oh it's a wonderful knife like I know that wasn't a huge movie but that had to, that had you know a lot of, that's a very queer movie even fucking Hell House LLC had a queer character queer yep. people at the center of it and then you know we had we had swallowed which was gay as fuck but then Carter Smith also had the passenger this year we Skinnamarink and the Outwater spill directed by gay men Hosera yep. queer woman talking about being a queer woman and not wanting to be pregnant clock jagged mind like there's so much there's so much more like mid level indie cinema that's out there that is being helmed by marginalized people from different communities and it's really cool to feel like maybe things are shifting this has been like a queer year in general for cinema like there's been so many there's been so many films not even horror related that have been coming out that is like doing really interesting things with queer characters like the passage and like there's just is that what it's called passages 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 chaotic bisexual anthem yeah So there's just like a lot and this felt like a very, a very queer year in general. And I was very happy to see it. But particularly, I was really happy to see a lot of these, as you mentioned, queer and marginalized voices being heard and having their movies come out. Even Attachment is another queer movie. You know, there's just so many that came out this year that give me more. Make it all queer. That's so my gay agenda. I know for fucking. I know for fucking real. And it's it's cool to see these movies coming out like this, and it's not hidden at the margins as much. I think what we need now is for it to get even weirder. I want swallowed stuff, but like even weirder. Like I'm so stoked. I need to like down girl because I'm like, all right, cool. Now we'll get make it hornier, and I'm like, wait, uh-huh. we need to transition into it. But it's like it's cool to see that like trajectory. Um, <clears throat> so. And I, I, I mean, like, people loved Saltburn and loved that and, like, got a taste ha, 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 for, like, transgressive cinema. So maybe this means we're moving. And again, like, we'll see how transgressive, really. I say an era of transgressive cinema. I don't know really at what point who decides what transgressive is. But I'm seeing if we're going to kind of wander finally into, like, making movies about sexuality and sex that are, like, a little bit less inhibited even though we're also in a very puritanical time right now. It's a very weird situation that we're currently, like, culturally we are in a very weird situation where we are both very horny and very puritanical. And we are all just very confused about what we want. <laughs> well, and you were talking earlier about how, you know, Amazon was making a meme of slurp and cum, cum water. And it is like. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. That was probably incredibly unpleasant for your ears. <laughs> I think Tony especially is going to hate the shit out of that. But. <laughs> but what I'm hoping is, is that like, I can't, I cannot go on TikTok without seeing reaction videos to Saltburn. Like it is just my, at f- four, four you pages become a whole lot of people reacting to it. First time watching it, showing my boyfriend it, showing my family this, making a movie night with my family. And I'm hoping that that kind of stuff, because it is hitting the zeitgeist and is getting a lot of attention that maybe people will be like, huh. Let's start to push the angle because we have that. We have um, poor things, which um, is is people keep talking about its sexuality. So I'm just I'm curious if like we're going to maybe see some progress in that regard. I hope. 
make it horny again, please and thank you. Fingers crossed. I mean, we still had a lot of, like, franchise IP stuff, but I don't know. Nothing really that impressive that I can <sighs> No. Sorry, Evil Dead Rise. Oof. I'm, like, in the minority on that one, I feel like. Oops. Um, this was not a good year for established IP, shall we say? It was a really good year for cool indie shit. I will mm-hmm. say it was a really good year for weird indie shit that um, studios are giving, taking chances on. And again, it's it's like it's hard because I need to like it's hard to like reorient my brain sometimes. Like you're watching a lot of indie stuff that not a lot of people are seeing, so it's like when I'm like I have to like remember that not everyone is going to be seeing this. But I'm hoping that like by talking about some of them, it'll help shift people towards like these, you know, mid tier things that are streaming somewhere that like are worth taking a look at too. Because I just think like it's getting boring, and there's some really exciting stuff happening in the horror space. It's just not everyone is seeing it so hopefully but yeah those are the big trends i noticed this year yeah uh okay so before we start getting into the top 10 let's let's shout out some of the shit that didn't unfortunately make the cut uh to the official top 10 yeah hell house llc origins <laughs> me yes exactly yes oh god There's- yes it barely it that one is in my top like top twenty at the very least. Yeah, I really that enjoyed that one. Um, I really enjoyed No One Will Save You. Yes, that one's also in my top twenty. <laughs> I enjoyed Dark Harvest. That's also in my top twenty. <laughs> the Angry Black Girl and Her Monster. Yeah. Oh yeah, that one is not my top twenty, but I also really liked. I also really liked that one. Candyland was in mine. Oh yeah. I really liked mm-hmm. Candyland. Landlocked by Paul Owen. Uh, yeah, was in shit, my that was top. this year. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Uh, Project Wolf Hunting, the Korean mm. Con Air uh, on a boat meets Resident Evil movie. Uh, Birth Rebirth, uh, Franken- the fem- like kind yeah. of femme Frankenstein movie by Laura Moss. Um, Talk to Me did not make my top 10. Cobweb did not make my top 10, but I, my top 20. And then Our Father the Devil by Ellie oh, Fumbi, yeah. which is a rape revenge movie, but about a woman living in France after running away from living in Africa, and her uh, abuser comes back into her life, and so that was one. And then the uh, a couple others, not my top 20, but I wanted to shout out, was um, Daughter by Corey Deshawn, was a really weird cult movie that came out this year, but like, no one knew about it. But Casper Van Dien stars in it in a really cool, oh, creepy yeah. version of himself. And then also Tearsucker, which is a really weird serial killer movie about a serial killer who drinks tears. So these last two that I will throw out were almost in my top 10. I joked on Twitter about having to flip a coin. But like there were as as if you're a listener, you'll know that my top 10, I like to showcase a movie that I feel like needs to get more attention that I really enjoyed. And there were like three choices for it. And one of them was Influencer. Oh, a movie yeah, 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 yeah. That was really good. Really that loved. That was good on this year. Really loved. One was Sick, which I feel really flew under the radar. Oh, I know. I, I know. Good slasher. Interesting COVID set film. And so those are the two that did not make my top 10 and were really close that I really wanted to just highlight in the top in the the, the 10th slot. So yeah, cool. there's a lot. There's a lot of really good movies this year. There were a lot of really good movies this year. 
It's like I didn't see as many movies this year, but I saw a lot of good movies this year. Yeah. I think I'm trying to be a bit more discerning about the movies I spend my time on, too. Like, sorry, but sometimes, like, I only have so many hours in the day. (laughs) But yeah, it was a really good year before we jump in for, like, streaming, like, movies coming out on streaming platforms. Uh, Not Netflix, but, like, Hulu. So keep an eye on Hulu. And Hulu for movies, Apple TV for tape for... Apple Plus, whatever the fuck, Apple, whatever the fuck for TV. I'm telling you, Apple is killing it TV wise. I know. Okay, but without further ado, let's get this bitch started. Start with number 10. All right. For me, it was a hard spot for me. Like I said, there were the previous two that I had contemplated putting on here because I like to highlight movies that kind of flew under the radar that I still really connected to. And this is one that I saw at Unnamed Footage Festival that once I watched it there, I went home and showed it to my roommate the same week. I've watched it now three times this year. It's Chad Gets the Axe, a movie that once I again, once I got home from the fest, I rewatched it laughing. I have seen it like three or four times this year. And every single time there's always something that I have missed previously that really kind of I'm focusing in on and notice. And it's it's full of all these little tiny jokes, and I just love the the use of the running commentary that is by the audience that is just like throwing additional shit at you that you might not even pay attention to on your first watch. Show feet is something that I just want show to randomly shout feet. at people. Show feet, show feet, show feet. When you had talked earlier about influencer horror, and I feel like this is one of the best instances of influencer horror. This and Ironically, Influencer, which was also almost in my 10, my 10 spot, showcasing just a new way of, of focusing on horror. And it's just it's this movie is so fucking hilarious. It's just so fucking it's funny. It's so fucking funny, but it's smart. It doesn't. Yeah. I wrote about this today because I put that on Best Found Foot of 2023 because like it's so smart in that Travis Bible, who directed it, who's on the show, mm-hmm. he doesn't. So often, like, people are lazy with influencers. Like, oh, make them vapid and stupid, and that's all you yep. need. And it's like, that's not it, though. That's not, you know, it's not how you make a good influencer character. Yeah, they can be vapid and stupid, but they also need to have, like, a little bit more complexity than that. And they need to, so what Bible does so well is giving him that complexity and, like, really showing that he understands what the influencers are. Because, again, I also feel like a lot of writers don't really know. Like, they have, like, a vague idea, but they have, like, never really engaged with influencer content and, like, sat on TikTok and, like, watched a live stream on TikTok. Like, you don't really... You think you know, but you don't actually have an understanding. But this movie, like actually understands how the internet works it's not like Mm -hmm. it's obviously parodying it but it very much understands the internet it's parodying it's not like always punching down it's like no this is how like this is actually really funny because this is exactly how the internet works and that is why it is so funny because you understand exactly how people interact in the chat in a live thing what people do on live streams like it's just so smart and how it handles the subject matter exactly so that's yeah. my number 10 i think cool. it is so fucking funny uh and i think more people need to watch it uh what was your number 10 so my number 10 is godzilla minus one okay i love this movie but it's not higher up because a lot of the movies i put on this list this year had like 
a lot of the movies I put on the, my list this year were like put on my list because of like the the visceral emotions I had. This was a very weird year for me. This was a very emotional year for me for like a thousand different reasons. And so this year I, you know, I usually do this, but this year was very much like a, I want to use the movies that like really brought out strong reactions for me and like made me really feel something deeply this year. Um, and Godzilla minus one did, but not as deeply as everything else on this list, because I think mostly it's the joy of seeing a Godzilla movie in theaters. You know what I mean? Like an actual, like I saw Shin Godzilla in theaters when it came out about seven years ago. And now I got to see this and to see Godzilla do so well too. And also to create such a incredible look at grief, PTSD, the like Japanese culture and seeing how they created Godzilla and did homages to Jaws. Like it is, we all know how much I love Godzilla. There was no, it wasn't going to be in my top 10. And I was just so excited to see how fucking good this is and how they handled the subject matter. Um, so yeah, that's Godzilla minus one. Well, Let's just go into my nine because it's not, my it's, nine it's Godzilla minus one. Okay. is Godzilla minus one. And the Hell thing yeah. is, is okay. that I've never really been a Godzilla girly. I think mostly because I've seen the Americanized versions of it. And this is a story that like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is to Americana. It is a decidedly Japanese monster. And I don't think another country trying to tackle it is able to, at least America is able to focus on what Godzilla really is. And so this was actually kind of my first introduction to like a Japanese version of this monster. I'm sure I've seen one or two of them growing up as a kid. Maybe that was playing on television, but I don't I don't recognize it at all. And this made me a believer. I think I think the problem with the American ones for the most part is the focus on spectacle over like the humanity and the human characters. And the American kind of code is to of like the blockbusters to have these giant monsters fighting each other, which is why we get Kong fighting Godzilla and fighting with Godzilla. And we have Ghadira and we have all these like monsters that are coming to fight as opposed to focusing on the humanity and the human characters. And I think the only Godzilla movie that came close to breaking this mold was the 2014 Godzilla, which the characters were still not great halfway through the movie. Like I really like the opening character that ends up dying in the first like act, but like, that really used the scale of humanity to focus on how awe-inspiring Godzilla was. And I think that is the only movie that has come close to capturing the feel of seeing a Japanese Godzilla film. So this was a revelatory screening for me um, because it used Godzilla as a metaphor for survivor's guilt and spent a lot of time on these characters. And it was about chosen family and and being forced into found family angles and as you mentioned, I also wrote down the homages to Jaws. I love this as an aquatic horror movie in, in spots. I love this sort of tight-knit group of men that were on this boat trying to <gasps> run down brothers. Godzilla. Brothers! I love them. <laughs> They're just brothers. <gasps> they are. And it's a story about living with your decisions, understanding that fate can be cruel, and trying to find something to hold on to in the midst of immense tragedy. And there's hope here, which... I think is is interesting because it's centered on on people trying to thrive when the government has failed them. And so there's a whole lot going on here that also has a giant fucking rat ass monster that is blowing up the city and just causing havoc. And I just really enjoyed this one a whole lot more than I anticipated. It's just 
damn good. I'm just so happy people are or like if this is how people are discovering Godzilla, I'm just so excited. I'm so happy. Ah, welcome. I bought Shin Godzilla. I just need to watch it now. Steve and I just rewatched that a couple weeks ago because we just like put it on in the background. <laughs> we love that. Like we we also have like sometimes Steve will just put on like the it's like a Godzilla ch like channel on Pluto. So we. we, we if you get into Godzilla, not all of them are as good as Godzilla, but it's good. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I've seen... Like, it's so funny because I'm like, this is really good. Godzilla's really good. A lot of it's really stupid, but it's really uh -huh. good. It's really I mean, a stupid. lot of it is is the same level as what we, we get in America, right? With just monsters fighting each other. Like, I get that. But when I think of, like, the greats, I don't think there's been a truly great American Godzilla movie. No, there hasn't been. Nope. So that was my nine. What about you? Uh, my nine is Ennis Men by Mark Jenkins. Okay. Dark Horse. Dark Horse. No, I had actually, like, I saw this movie in March, and March was uh, six years ago in my in my brain. So At when least. I was making my list, I was like, oh, shit. And then I remembered Ennis Men, like, stuck with me for weeks when I saw it. Ennis Men, I mean, again, it's going to be one of the... It's, Ennis Men is a movie of a slow, slow burn folk horror that is going to either like really excite people or piss them off. And <laughs> I fucking loved it. It is, I believe it's th shot on 35 millimeter film. And it's about this wildlife volunteer on uninhabited island who is just checking on these plants every day. And she kind of is like, it's about her kind of losing it. And it's this just like, lush, beautiful, weird experience that just like hit me in all the right ways in terms of the vibes it carries. This is very much a movie that is a vibe, like it's vibes forward. There's not really much narrative clarity. You're kind of just there for the vibe that Mark Jenkins is crafting. And if you're into it, you're going to love it. And if you're not into it, you're going to be like, this is a nightmare. Why did you say yes this to me? And that's okay. But it's just like, it's just so beautiful to watch. And the vibes are so gross. And I love that. And it's just like, an, it's nightmare logic. It's, it's nightmare logic. And the way he shoots it is very like, feels like you're in a nightmare. Even the way she moves, like that is like almost like it, some things feel so disjointed. And mm. as you'll see in other films I talk about later, just like the way that a lot of films this year evoked to me these like weird primal, like, oh God feelings were so interesting and in how a lot of this movie taps into this kind of almost like primal fear of something happening. And I loved it. Uh, I think no one really saw it. It's very art house, but like, I think more people should see it. It's on Hulu and... If you want to just watch like kind of a weird folk horror, get like maybe a little high and just like vibe, I highly recommend it. It's really fucking good. Very much a meme movie and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I missed this one when it when it was coming out and I still haven't watched it yet. I have a the screener for it. I didn't realize it was on Hulu, so I could just <laughs> watch it there maybe. But I've been meaning to catch up on it and I'm I'm glad that it made major top 10 because it seems very weird and very under the radar mm. neon right yeah hell yeah all right on to number eight number eight my number eight 
So sometimes loving a movie is noticing its imperfections and then slowly kind of coming around to appreciating them instead of being put off by them. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And when I saw this movie last year, I was up, I was with it up until the final act, which completely changed its tone and veered from this sort of intense body horror into camp in the blink of an eye. And yet I couldn't stop thinking of this movie and how audacious it was and what I was seeing on screen. And Mary Beth's face is like, what the fuck are you talking about? So my number nine is Carter Smith's Swallowed. What? Nine? Eight? Is it eight? Eight. Eight. (laughs) Shit. I hit my my wee pen and you said nine. And I was like, I'm sorry. I have forgotten how to count. Can you repeat yourself? So here's the funny thing. Like this, this movie was, has like flip flopped in, in numbers and I moved it up to eight. So I don't think I changed my little notes that I had written down about it when I was, when I was looking at it. So yes, my number eight movie is Carter Smith Swallowed (laughs) because it is like the audacious queer horror film that I've been wanting to see. I feel like, I feel like cinema has been really safe for a long time particularly queer horror cinema, where it's almost like we have to have like these perfect queer characters because we don't have that many. And so we put them in these things and we give them, you know, we don't let them be messy. And I think recently we've seen a kind of a change on that. And Swallow did things that I never expected to see outside of a porno, including fisting. (laughs) But what I loved about this movie was the kind of love story that develops between the two leads. It's almost like a, a what if or what could have been that ends up being very quietly devastating. I love these two leads so much. And even though I do think the third act kind of doesn't completely work for me, I've grown to appreciate it more and more as I've watched it. And this is kind of the transgressive queer horror, as we were talking about earlier, that I would like to see more of. It's kind of like a more commercial and sentimental Bruce LeBruce movie caught up in like a stylish thriller with queasy body horror. And I think that's fascinating. And I do love that Carter Smith has kind of created this all the dead boys universe that he's starting to slowly work on. And I have had the liberty of reading something that might potentially be worked on that I really liked. And I really would love to see this world expand because this is the cinematic universe that the queer world a.k.a. me, is waiting for. So, my number eight, Swallowed. I'll have more to say on that later. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> more on Fair that enough. at 11. <laughs> more on that. Uh, so, what's your number eight, then? So, my number eight, it's a divisive peck. Um, a.k.a. I don't think anyone actually saw it. Uh, megalomaniac. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I told you, it's a weird list this year, baby. <laughs> I was... So, okay. I was flip-flopping on this one for a bit because I was like it's a weird pick and like there's a lot of things about it that people don't like but like I have not been able to stop fucking thinking about this movie since I saw it like I don't even remember what I I saw it a long time like a while ago I you know what I fucking saw it at Fantasia last year was when I saw it and I haven't been able to stop that's right I saw it a long time ago and I haven't been able to stop thinking about how it's navigating these like really fascinating intergenerational trauma dynamics and also like toxic masculinity and how that affects women and page and like there's a lot of stuff you can say about like about it that is 
you know, you could talk about misogyny in it and everything, but I just think because it centers on this character of Martha, who is the daughter of a serial killer, and she has incestuous feelings for her brother. That's neither here nor there. Uh, it's just so fucked up in so many ways that I so greatly respect. You know what I mean? And I know that so, mm-hmm. so it's, I know that I seem like a per. I, I feel like it's hard to like explain what I like versus what is misogynistic because some people might be like what the fuck like you like megalomaniac but you don't like Lars von Trier honey I don't know like but I I do know because I think for me I can I I just and perhaps this is just like how I feel about intentionality and like what we're trying to say here but I just feel like director Kareem Wallage who directs this I feel like is more intentional in talking about Martha's point of view and her experiences and looking at her character rather than kind of sensationalizing the actual serial killer who's her brother so like yeah we could make this another serial killer movie where we follow her brother around and watch him murder and rape women and we certainly see hints of that but instead we focus on Martha who has this like weird just an amalgamation of traumas happening to her at any given time. And I think with focusing on Martha, you make a much more interesting movie. And I really appreciated that. Like she's another character. Year of the messy fucking woman. I mean, this chick is, did you ever see this? No. Okay. Mostly because I felt like I had to be in the right frame of mind to watch it. And every single time I was like, I have a free time. I was like, I don't know if I want to watch it. Absolutely understandable. This is not a movie you want to just like pop on for fun. Like it's incredibly like draining because there's I mean like every bad thing. It's it's bad. It's just very intense. But as we know, I also love extreme horror, so Mm -hmm. it just felt cool to see an extreme horror movie that's kind of continue because this is Belgian, so it's kind of continuing the new like a new layer of new French extremity slash like that kind of nihilistic extreme filmmaking we see coming from already coming from that part of Europe and just Mm -hmm. seeing the evolution of that, especially through like a true crime lens is really cool. So I just, you know, I really like this movie. It's not a movie I really would watch a lot and I have, would have a hard time recommending it to any, like just anybody, but I really liked it a lot. Heck yeah. I, I do want to see it at some point because I I've it's been on my list ever since you did see it. I forgot that it was at Fantasia of last year, I know, but it's been I on my list. Remember. And when it came out, I was like, "Ooh, I need to watch that at some point." But like I said, it's not necessarily my kind of cup of tea. So like, I needed to like felt like I had to be like in the right space to to watch it. You will most likely hate it because <laughs> you had compared it at one like t- you you had mentioned martyrs in the same. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's why I say it, because you don't like Mm -hmm. martyrs, and I love martyrs. And, like, I very much understand why you don't like martyrs. And you also understand why I do. And I think we would probably have a similar conversation about Megalomaniac. I still think you should see it. I just feel like it's definitely one of those movies where it's like... Maybe we do a Fresh Wounds episode on it (gasps) and talk through it. Oh, my God. Wait, that's such a good idea. Oh, fuck, that's such a good idea. Okay, cool. Uh, Writing a note. Anyway... But yeah, Megalomaniac is my number eight for 2023. Number seven. Number seven. (laughs) All right. This one kind of surprised me that it's on my list. But when I was thinking about a movie, I just like sometimes a movie is just so perfectly me. And 
I am often drawn to movies that are kind of like whimsically macabre and that kind of combine different genres of like fantasy and horror and that kind of thing. Like, I'll never forget the first time I saw Pan's Labyrinth and it was like just in awe because it was the first time that I had seen something that took like the darkness of fairy tales and horror and and married them together in such a whimsically macabre way. And so fast forward to like 2019 and I saw the criminally underseen Netflix series, Marianne, which blew me away and was again, this like mix of whimsical and macabre loved it. And I wanted more from the series director, Samuel Bowden. And then I found out he was making a movie called cobweb and I was immediately on board. Then nothing happened. They filmed it towards the end of 2020 and then silence. And then finally it was unceremoniously dropped in a very limited theatrical release on the same day as fucking Barbenheimer. Like. Sin. What the fuck? Sin. It's a sin. Because this movie fucking rules. I know it's not in my top ten, but like, it's so good. It, not October. Sorry, I'm taking over here. I, I know. Just, not I'm October. So, it's exactly. like, it's a perfect, ha- it's literally a Halloween movie. Like, it's a Halloween movie. It's the perfect Halloween movie. It is. And like, Ugh. I wrote one of my notes to talk about was because it is a pitch black fairy tale set in a modern world that inhabits such an Halloween aesthetic. Like, the fucking backyard is a pumpkin field. Come on. Why isn't this why? coming out? Why the- not? Why the why fuck not, not guys? <laughs> oh, it's so so good. It's also very vicious with a sequence oh, that, yeah. spoiler alert, is ripped from the swerve that like upset me in ways that like I was not prepared for in this movie. Because at that point, I thought it was going to be a PG-13 creepy kid movie. Right. And then all of a sudden we're feeding parents fucking rat poison. And I think the way that it balances sort of like paranoia, the idea of a kid kind of being trapped under an authoritarian rule of parents lonely child, pure violence. It's just, it works so well. And I think that Samuel Bowden is a very creative and very visionary director that needs more attention. And so that's why it's my number, my number seven. I, I loved it. I loved it so much. And he has such a distinct perspective and tone. And it's, rare to see that from a director so soon and i love that and i mean like yeah i know like he had mary like you know he used marianne but like he had that in marianne too it was like Mm -hmm. and i love that dedication to that dark whimsy i think it's Mm -hmm. so cool to see that and i wish more movies adopted that kind of vibe and aesthetic i think it's such a good one and i think it's like it's perfect for ya this is not a ya movie like it's definitely violent but it has it but, like, parts of it do have, like, a YA feel. And YA Absolutely. shit has that dark fantasy vibe. So, like, why not tap into that more? I just feel well, I like do think that that's... people are scared of fantasy, I think. I think fantasy is a word that scares people when it shouldn't. Exactly. But I also think that because it does feel like a YA thing, it, it makes the dark turns towards the end hit and be so much yeah. more impactful. Because it doesn't feel yeah. like it's going to go into that direction. And then all of a sudden, we're fucking killing our parents. And then kids are being murdered and it's like, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I, it's a very ballsy movie and I loved it. Yeah. Hell yeah. What's your number seven? Uh, horror in the high desert to Minerva. <laughs> okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I saw it and I was like, it just, it, it sounds so funny on the list, but like, it's so God it's damn great. scary. Yes. This is not the only found footage movie on this list, but 
we talk about how it's the year of found footage, and there was so much good found footage, but Horror in the High Desert 2 is definitely one of the best movies of the year because of just how well Dutch Marriage, friend of me and Tarion of the show, and who had who came onto the show to talk about the movie, it's really impressive to see how he has grown as a filmmaker because I loved Horror in the High Desert, the original, and mm-hmm. everything that I think he probably learned slash like kind of saw from the first one, he poured into the second one and also into the third one that's work he's working on right now. Because this is going to be a series of five movies. He's building this like massive world, which I think is so cool how he's using the series to build this world. And he's using things he learns to create like some of the most like fucking heart pounding sequences I've seen in horror in a long time. Like when that cop goes into that fucking like barn, I thought I was going to piss my pants. Like, <laughs> So tense and again, like talk about incredible use of darkness to hide and to hide and show things and keep them from you, but also sound design. And it's mm-hmm. just you saw it with me in the theater. Were you there to see it in the theater? I did not. It was okay. It was, it was, the, it was the closing. It was the closing mm-hmm. night because I saw it. I had seen it before, then I saw it in theaters, and that was I would an love to see in the theaters. But I just really, I think this is just, like, it's traditional found footage, but it's done really fucking well. You know what I mean? Like, it's using, it's not necessarily, like, it's following, like, what you think a found footage movie is, but in a way that is so incredibly terrifying and really tapping into how to make this scary. It's not just, like, here are the beats. It's like, no, I'm going to give you some scary shit. And I love that. And he's creating, again, this, like, really interesting world layered world that i'm just so into and fascinated with and like this is the again i'm gonna get on my little high horse just for two seconds this is the kind of like series stuff people should be really looking at i know ip i like i know ip and business and like etc but like this kind of stuff is being made in the indie space and it's like create these world building series that i think are just like so cool and deserve like more eyeballs because they're just goddamn scary um but yeah that's my number seven i really enjoyed this movie and i think i definitely agree i think it is a huge step up from the first one which was a movie that i really enjoyed and i really love the world building i'm very excited for the third one when he you know finally stops tinkering with it and releases it like i'm very excited for it so I'm, I'm glad it's on your list. It was definitely in my my top 20 but i i kind of thought that maybe it would be on your list to be honest and I'm really glad that it is because it's great. It is a great. It's really good. Film. It's scary. If you want to be scared, I highly recommend this one, especially headphones on on a laptop. Like, yeah, seeing it in a theater is awesome. But if you're going to watch it at home, watch it with headphones and like and in the dark, like really immerse yourself into it. If you're going to watch it at home, if you want to get the shit scared out of you, up to you. Which why wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, hey, you never know. All right. Number six. Six, Number six. Six, six, six. So I honestly thought this movie would be higher on my list because my first watch of the film terrified me when I saw it back at Sundance, which is probably a, a big like teaser of what it is. But while revisiting it, it's cemented that I really enjoyed it. But I did start to see some kind of iffy character moments that I wish were a little stronger. And I don't think it really handles the emotional part of the storytelling very well. But the movies talk to me. And it is some of the most vividly disturbing moments I've seen in a wide release movie. 
uh, it's probably why it's actually still on my list because I can still, I still, when I close my eyes, I can immediately see the possession sequences, particularly, um, the horror that it puts on, uh, Riley, the kid and moments of like self-harm. It's so upsetting and so painful to watch that like kind of seeing the friends and family's inability to sort of help him work through this and just, it's vicious. It's vicious. And it puts the youngest kid in so much danger. And there's also some like sexually unnerving moments. Like when the main character is unknowingly sucking on the foot of her ex boyfriend that just like constantly was, was like getting under my skin and just being like, Oh, this is, this is doing some kind of dangerous stuff. It's a very assured debut for the Philippu brothers um, who kind of got their start as Rocker Rocka on YouTube, which is wild to me. The script is a bit iffy, but they do know how to stage a horrific moment in a way that I think successfully takes possession films into a new era. And I've originally called this sort of like the flatliners for a TikTok generation. And I do think that this film is smart. And I think it kind of puts a fourth, a new directing team that I want to keep an eye on and see what they're going to do because I do think they're only going to get better in my hopes, my hopes of hopes. So yeah, my number six is talk to me, which I know you said isn't on your list, but I, I love, I, I did really like this movie. Like it's in my top 20. I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. I just, it did not resonate with me. I think as much as it did with a lot of other people. And that's not a bad thing at all. Like I think no. that the movie is really smart. I think it really does like, I mean, it is like it's it hits that and under and because the directors are younger, like they really understand the audience they're making this movie, like like a core audience they're making this movie for. And I love that. And I love to see how they're pushing the boundaries of what we see. Like one of my favorite moments of this year is the possession scene from Talk to Me. Mm-hmm. Like I yelled when I saw it at Sundance. Like it's so incredibly tense and fucked up and just like, oh, my fucking God. I just, like you said, it doesn't, it didn't hit as hard for me. Um, but still, it's an incredible movie. And I'm so excited. Again, like, it's one of, it's an, it's the best movie that had, like, a wide, re- one of the best movies that had a wide release that came out this year. And I'm so glad yeah. that A24 gave it so much support. I think yeah. that does give me some, some hope for the future of horror in theaters. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, you know, it's not just IP and franchises. Uh there's original stuff that we can put out there that's going to draw people uh, to theaters, which we'll talk about a little later <laughs> too. Yeah. I'm very excited. I, I, I really, I'm really excited to see what they're going to do next. I really hope that. Yeah. That I was shit talking. Stay, a sequ- like, I was shit talking the prequel. And then someone said it was going to potentially be screen life. And I was like, uh-huh. put my foot in my mouth. I'll eat crow on that one. I will watch that. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I fully that, admit that. that I, mean, be, I, I fully admit that. I fully admit that. That could be fascinating. I'm curious. Yeah, I'm very curious. That'd be cool shit. So an A24 found footage movie, potentially. <sighs> Don't say that. I'm getting wet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 That's ridiculous. I I deserve to go to prison for that. Oh my god. <laughs> That was hilarious. Anyway, so that was a uh, that was talk to me. What? <laughs> what, what was your number six, Mary Beth? Uh, so my number six <laughs> is a beautiful, incredible, sad queer movie called Hosera the Bone Woman. Okay, thought it was going to be higher, but 
couple things knocked it out of contention, unfortunately. Sorry, Josera. But still, I I don't even, like, know how to describe how much this movie... It's, like, this is a movie that, like, means something beyond what I can, like, fully describe as a queer woman who struggles with wanting to ever have children. And while this while the cultural context of Hosera is obviously very different than what I grew up in, there's also something so universal about what um, Michelle Garza Cervera hits here. And while both operating within like the incredibly patriarchal culture of Mexican families and expectations on Mexican women of having lots of children and having maternal instincts, they also think she hits even wider on just like not wanting to have kids and like what does that mean for you and what happens when you force yourself to have kids and it's so heart-wrenching and terrifying that it was higher on my list for a while um and it was honestly flip-flopping between um five and six for a bit but ultimately it landed here it just is like really important it's important for so many reasons but it's like most importantly important to me as a queer woman who isn't a straight relation like in a straight relationship like i'm married to a cis man it's and it feels good to feel seen um, in a lot of ways. In a way that horror hasn't really ever made me feel so seen before. Um, while also being an incredibly beautiful piece of Mexican horror filmmaking. Yeah. And showcasing, like, Mexican folklore versus Mexican religion and really showing a side of, like, a kind of possession slash exorcism slash thing told through a lens of, like, Mexican folk religion, which, again, we're seeing more kind of nuanced looks at religion now from, like, more specific cultural lenses, which I also really appreciate. So, and Michelle Garza Cervera obviously loves Mexico City because the way she films it is also just fucking gorgeous. So, but yeah, that's my number six. Hell yeah. It's a great I'm movie. Assuming, I'm assuming yours is, we'll talk about it again with you, I bet. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's All good. right. Halfway. Number five. Halfway. All right. Five. So this is more of a personal pick for me because um, this movie, I think much like the movies that you're talking about, about resonating with you, particularly this one resonated with me a whole lot more than I expected going into it because um, my grandfather fought in World War II and honestly, Ooh. he should not have survived. As a young kid, I do remember him taking off um, his hat. He would always wear a hat. He was bald and he would always wear a hat. And he would he would take my hand and he would have me rub the top of his head where there was like an indent from shrapnel that went through his helmet. And he should have died. Um, and whenever he talked about the war, he would grow really quiet and would kind of stare off into the distance. And there's a lot of things I know that he did not talk about. And I do think that he kind of quietly suffered for the rest of his life. And so every single time I hear someone say the last great war was the great war, I'm just like, no. So that's why Ted Keegan's Brooklyn 45 really spoke to me. I think this is a fantastic chamber piece with some really great character actors that um, are allowed to shine from Larry Fessenden's fantastic performance to Anne Ramsey, who I loved, Jeremy Holm, who is great in this, and even Ezra Buzzington, who was in um, Alexander Aha's um, remake of, uh, gosh, The Hills Have Eyes, to like all of them. They're just, it's just a fantastic chamber piece. It could easily be a play. 
it's not necessarily scary, but there is like, you could feel that this movie is very important to Ted, particularly with the stuff that I've heard about with his father. And I just, I don't know. It just, it really, it's really stuck with me. It's probably one of the the few movies that even though there are movies higher on my list that I, I think about constantly. And it's because of my personal relationship to, to my grandfather who let's face it, he should have died in the war. Yeah. And so like that in and of itself and, and thinking about what kind of atrocities did he see and how has it lingered in with it went in his mind since then is, um, I don't know. It's, it's heavy stuff. And so this movie yeah. really, really worked for me. And I, I think it's criminally underseen and I really liked it. So that's my number five. Yeah. I really liked it too. It's definitely criminally underseen. I think like it's an important movie. I think especially in the context of today, in a way, yeah. too. I mean, I think it's always going to be, like, even though it's set in a very specific time period, I think the messages about, like, you know, xenophobia and that kind of stuff resonate, unfortunately, mm-hmm. kind of timelessly, at least for now. And I think it is really interesting how Gigan also incorporates queerness into the narrative in a really interesting yeah. way. And, yeah, it is it is a really incredible, like, single location chamber piece about again survivor's guilt we talked about it with godzilla minus one survivor's guilt in this one too yeah yeah it's a really yeah it's it's impressive and it's i i think the other reason is that like like my my family has always been like military my dad was in the military my brother was in the Mm. military Mm -hmm. my brother has seen some shit when he was overseas and it just like i don't know so like coming from a family that has has like a history fighting in wars it's just like i don't know it's really it really spoke to me yeah. But yeah. So that's my number five. What about you? My number five is Swallowed, directed by Kevin ah. Smith. It's like Hazara and Swallowed were like flip-flopping a lot because it's like these two incredibly queer movies that meant a lot. But I think Swallowed just went out a little bit more because of how gross it is. And I think huh. seeing the dirty, gross side of queerness is even like just a tad more important or like a tad more impactful for me. It's hard. It's really weird to rank that in your head, but like, I just think seeing this like gnarly, gross queerness that is just like covered in mud and piss and sweat and just like. It's a movie you can smell. It's, yeah, it's a like, claustrophobic and like kind of hot, but also really not hot at all and grimy. And there's just something about it that feels so dangerous that I just like. And. It's like, I'm friends with Carter, so it's like, it's hard. It's like, I don't want people to be like, oh, you're just saying this because you're friends with Carter. I saw this movie before I was friends with Carter, and it only just, and it finally came out this year. So I just want to caveat that in case anyone's like, you're just friends with him. And I'm like, no, we're friends because I love this movie. <laughs> Honestly, this movie is why, like, Carter and I met because I saw this at a festival, and I met him at the festival, and I was like, you're cool as shit. I love dirty gross queerness and he's like let's be friends and now we're friends because of dirty gross queerness uh so yeah this movie is really just like important to me in a lot of reasons but that's it's also just like an incredibly important piece of queer horror a like contemporary queer horror cinema and how we can look at queerness in such weird gross ways and i mean it's i think it's really just crucial right now in the genre so yeah that's my uh Number five. Oh, yeah. Plus, Mark Patton talks about being a bitchy old queen, so. (laughs) 
great What's line. What's not to love about that? Great line. Uh, uh. All right. Four. So let's just keep this Carter Smith love going because I struggled. Oh, you went. You went the double. You went the double Carter. I sure did go double Carter because here's the thing. I knew that this movie was going to be on my list and I I knew that I really wanted to include Swallowed. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to put two directors or two movies by one director on this list. Does that feel weird? And yet here's the thing. I kept coming back to The Passenger Mm. because. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So working from a script from from Jack Stanley. I, I have to say, Carter directs the fucking hell out of this movie. The yeah. performances he Jesus. pulls out of Kyle Gallner and Johnny oh. and Birch told are fantastic. Oh. Kyle, this oh. is a revelatory performance for Kyle for me. Like, I've oh. seen him in a lot of movies. I love him. But his performance here was like the right mix of sort of like dealing with toxic masculinity, but also dealing with the tender side and trying to be someone that he's trying to like... I don't even I don't even know how to describe it. Like this movie has just been kind of in my head since I saw it. Um, it's kind of an unconventional love story between the two men, even though there's no like like honest Ugh. romance between the two of them. But what I found so powerful was this idea that the older um, character that Gallner plays is kind of recognizing himself in the younger character that Birchold plays and knowing what kind of future awaits him if he doesn't break free of like the rut that he is in with the small town. And I just I found the script to be incredibly heartfelt and genuinely moving, but it's also very vicious and it doesn't pull its punches. But it's also one of those films that doesn't need to hit you over the head with its messages. It doesn't spell everything out. There are some things that you have to like kind of piece together of like what kind of trauma Kyle's character has gone through. And I love I just I love this movie so much. It's so well crafted. This is the year of Carter Smith for me, and I'm. I'm so excited because I have loved his work ever since I saw The Ruins. And it is wild to me that this man that I unknowingly idolized is now like he's been on the show. I've had this chance to talk with him. And that is like this. It's so weird to me. Like it makes me it makes me kind of misty eyed. But like I cannot wait to see what he's going to do next year and beyond. And this movie is so is so fucking good. I love it so much. I fucking struggled because I wanted to, I was like, I can't do, I'm just like, I love you Carter, but I can't do double Carter. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Know. It's just like so hard. I, and that's just, and that's that I, I respect so much that you did it. Cause I was like, I can't, but this like, I know I don't, I just, I, well, I don't want it to come across as like pandering. Right. But it's like, I, these two movies are some of the ones that like have been lingering in my head all year long. Yeah. The passenger is like an incredible look at toxic masculinity, like in a way that I've never seen before. It is such a beautiful look at like trying to push past it and trying to heal and make people Mm -hmm. better while also recognizing that like you're fucked and like just trying to make things better. And it's For the just next generation, so really. god damn devastating, but so good. And like Kyle Gallner is like this hard yet soft, weird character that you really just want to give a hug and like maybe some chicken noodle soup. And, it's and steal like, his sweater. Oh. I loved his sweater. Oh my god, I, know. I wanted his sweater. <laughs> so good. It's such a random thing to say, but like I that that no, his though, sweater it's a huge is part. So lovely. Well, because the part, the reason, like, he's wearing, instead of this, like, he looks like he's going to be, like, a fucking skinhead, and then he wears, like, a soft green Grinch sweater. Like, it's so important to show that, like, he actually, like, literally that texture, like, that softness is, like, such an indicative 
cool piece of characterization of like, oh no, this yeah. is not the guy you think he is. Like there's something no. else going on here. You don't know what it is, but it's it's subverting your expectations. And it's so like, I, I actually talked to Carter about this in an interview. I was like, I need to talk about the sweater. And like he explained, like the sweater is necessary. It's like such a crucial part of his character. <laughs> anyway, yeah. that's me on a green sweater in Carter Smith's passenger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I I and I, I love this idea that like it, it's so heartbreaking and so sad to see Kyle's character go through this. Like he knows that his life is is kind of over and he feels defeated and he sees this younger version of him that he wants to to break out and to like break that sort of cycle of toxic masculinity, even though that he is full of it himself. And I just, I don't know. There's, there's so many smart things going on here. And like I said, I really, while I think the script is, is absolutely fantastic. It is the performances that Carter is able to pull out of these two actors that I just, it makes me see Kyle Gallner in a whole new light. And all I knew about Johnny was his, his like videos that I see in social media that I'm like, okay, it's cute. But like, he turns out a great performance in here. And so I just, yeah, yeah I, I love this movie. I could not, I, I, I knew this one was going to be on it and I just could not leave swallowed off. That's basically how it came down, but that's my number four. Cool. What about you? Uh, okay. My number four is the outwaters. Okay. It was going to be, hi- again, it's going to be higher. Other shit snuck in, but I, I saw the outwaters two years ago, almost two years ago. Uh, I always brag about this, but I have to because I feel special and entitled. Um, It's all I have. Uh, I was one of the first people to watch this movie when Robbie sent a cold email to me and I said, ooh, weird found footage. And I watched it that night and was like, this is the next big fucking thing. Everyone needs to fucking watch this movie. And you know what? It finally came out this year to a lot of fucking attention. And I'm so goddamn happy because this is what found foot. Like, this is one of... The things about found footage that I love, that you can make fucking weird shit like this, that you can make a cosmic horror nightmare that is so weird and visceral and terrifying. And Robbie's just like really smart. And and we've become friends after seeing it. But again, like this is a movie I wanted to have on my list last year. And then it was last year. It was last year. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, what is time? I wanted to have it on my list last year, but it hadn't come out yet. And now I finally can because this movie is like, ah, chef's kiss forever. And again, outside of me, Robbie, Robbie being close, it's just like, it's a movie that stuck with me ever since I saw, first saw it and was like, this is, this is what found footage needs to be. This, this is like daring. It's what a found foot. It's what happens after a found footage movie is over. It is this like, insane descent into just like a mind melting miasma of chaos and all captured in first person perspective. And it is just harrowing and so incredibly smart. And I have, we all die in the dark, like in blood above my fucking, like on my wall. It's just, yeah, I think it's just like a really special piece of found footage and 2023 cinema. So yeah. Well, I think we should go into my number three then. Cool. Because uh, yeah, 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 my yeah, number yeah, three yeah. is The Outwaters. Yeah. And here's the thing. You, when you raved about this film, I was dubious. I was dubious, Mary Beth, because, again, you love found footage so much. And I am 
I'm warming up to it a whole lot more than I used to you be. You have two but... found footage movies on your top ten, my baby. I have I one you over. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair to say. But the so the thing is, is that like you loved it. I was like, great. And then I, I. You were like, we, I don't know if I will, though, because that bitch loves some weird shit. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. I saw the trailer. It's like, I don't really know what is going on in this trailer. And I'm not really 100% sure that I that it's for me. But then I got a copy and I watched it. And what I love about this film is that it is cosmic horror to a T. It takes you into a world of hell and then sort of confounds you and terrifies you in equal measures. It presents like this unknowable world, and we only get brief glimpses of it. Intestinal snakes lunging towards the camera, a massive thing that we only get to see like with a microscopic blade of, of light. The cinematography is so stunning. I love when it starts to get really weird and it just sort of flips upside down and we're like zooming through um, the main character's mom's house and we're across this this land that turns this desert location into kind of like an ocean almost like an ocean of just pure isolation and i think it pushes further than most found footage movies do uh you mentioned that it's sort of like what happens at the end and the third act is i literally wrote this down in my notes is that what happens after the characters have vanished and it forces to forces the audience to watch like the disintegration of both sanity and body it's like this slice of life horror that ends up <laughs> into the unknowable and just keeps getting more and more fucked. And ever since I saw it last year, it also has not left my brain. I just, I can't wait to see what Robbie's going to do next after Tinsman road. I, I, know. I really like oh, this movie. I'm so excited. It's so assured. It's such an assured de- debut. Robbie just needs to like never edit his own work ever again. <laughs> That's true. Simply for his sanity. It's not for any other uh-huh. reason other than he's driving no, himself crazy. He's a good editor. But, anyway. just like... <laughs> but yeah, that's my number three. I'm weird that it's higher on my <laughs> list. But um... yeah, I had a couple dark horses kind of fuck my shit up. So <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Whatever. my number three. What's your number three, Mary Beth? Skin of a rink. Shocking. Okay. I uh, thought that was also going to be higher on my list, but again, two too. dark horses kind of fucked my ass up here. Um, Skinnamarink, again, I saw that at Fantasia last year and was like, this movie is an absolute fucking nightmare and no <laughs> one is ever going to see it. Uh, and I don't, I was like, I'm going to sick scream about this movie to everybody, but no one is going to watch it. Uh, and little too <laughs> much to my surprise, it went viral uh, and some fucking asshole leaked it, and then it came out this year. And um, I have never been more scared watching a movie in such a long time. I have never been felt more like I did when I was a small child watching, like as like in my parents' bedroom. I've never felt that kind of fear watching a horror movie before, and it was absolutely incredible to experience that. And I know it did not work for everyone, and that is fine. This movie, I almost peed my pants, and I don't mean that as a joke. Like, I watched, I, I'd already seen it, and it was, I hosted a screening of it, and I, for edible, and was watching it, and got so Worst scared, decision. <laughs> I thought I was going to piss. I was like, oh my god, I actually might pee my pants right now. I didn't, but good god. So, like, the only reason 
well, I'll explain when I reveal the other two. Um, but like, it just struck such a deep fucking emotional chord for me that like, I, I had to be at really high on my list because holy shit. Um, I mean, I even have the goddamn, like, I had a skin, my 30th birthday party was skin and Marie surprise party and I have this scary phone. So like, yeah. And yeah, I know it's only, it's only number three, which is funny, but I know. Are. I really thought this was going to be your number one. I really did. Yeah, I did too. And then I kind of thought about it a little bit longer. I was like, ah, shit. All right. Weird. But hey, I don't know. It, these lists are so arbitrary. Who, who cares? They really are. <laughs> Like, they really I, are. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I joked about real, uh, t- tossing a coin for some of them, and it's honestly true. Like, um, yeah. This one is not on my list. Uh, I figured. I know you did not like this one as much as no, I did. No, so the thing is, is that well, not I... Like, it's not like. That's not the right word for it, but yeah. I was very affected by this movie. I definitely... In my review, I talked about how, you know, the walk from my base, my basement up to my room in the, in the pitch dark house because i don't ever turn on lights because i'm weird um was like an experience because like i laid in bed and i was like it really kind of stuck in my head and i was really afraid i was gonna have like weird ass nightmares i didn't but like it like took me a while to fall asleep i just it's just not for me but i did hey it's i think the best movies aren't for everyone though like that's that's the thing like if you're trying to like hit all these quadrants, you're not gonna make a a lasting film. So, yeah, I'm, I knew it was gonna be on your list, and so I knew that it was gonna get representation from Scar for Life. I can't wait to get my skin a marine tattoo. Um, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna get? The phone. <laughs> the phone. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. Number two. Oh boy, the top two. All right. Tattoo. So. Demian Rugna is kind uh-huh. of the patron saint right. of Scarred for Life, in a way. <laughs> Him and Adam Scott are like sort of the like Scarred for Life saints. And if I wanted to drink every single time Terrified came up on the podcast as a movie that terrified one of our guests, I'd probably be drunk if we went back and counted. We've covered it for our inaugural episode of, of the Patreon's Fresh Wounds, which if you're not a subscriber, you should go subscribe and listen to it because it's a good episode. <laughs> but and it's a lot more of a conventional story, but it takes what made Terrifier, Terrifier, goodness, what made Terrified so thrilling and adds a stronger story and some fantastic world building. I love that it's set in this world where demonic possession is simply a thing. And through the dialogue and through visual storytelling, he establishes this world and kind of gives us just enough information to make us wonder what is going on. And one thing that I really want cinema to do is surprise me. And I do feel like a lot of films lack that sort of surprise. We're, we're in this kind of this era where movies feel very safe. And this movie surprised and excited me in ways that I was I honestly was not expecting. I was like, is lightning going to strike twice? It's intense from the very beginning. It continually twists that screw while throwing in some hilariously evil set pieces like the infamous dog eating a child sequence. He gives no fucks. And this movie gives no fucks. And this punk vibe made it my my second favorite film of the year. I loved how how thrilling and terrifying it was. So when evil lurks is my number two. Cool. Uh. I'll talk about that in a second. (laughs) (laughs) 
fair enough. What's your number two, then? So, this is the fucking movie that kind of threw a wrench into everything. Uh, okay. And my number two, Soft Liquid Center. All right. Yeah. So, like, I saw this Respect. earlier in the year, and I really loved it. And I really, really love this movie. We, we just talked to the filmmaking team behind it. And I loved this movie, and then I rewatched it, and I was just like, ah, you know what? This actually might be one of my favorite movies of the year. And it's obviously like a deeply personal kind of reason for a lot of reasons, because it's about life after abuse and dealing with toxic relationships. And as lo- as I've talked a lot about, that's such like a huge interest of mine in cinema, especially because this is written, co-written by star Steph Holmbo. So a lot of it is informed by her own experiences. So like, while she didn't technically direct the movie, a lot of it is told from like her kind of informed experiences. And so right. it's such a darkly whim speaking of like dark whimsy there's like a dark almost a dark whimsy to this in terms of how it looks at trying to heal after abuse and what happens when that it's like it's basically my worst nightmare come to life like what happens when the abuser will not leave you alone and in more ways than one and i think the way that they're able to translate that fear into something that is so bizarre and lo-fi but also deeply affecting it just again stuck with me all year as this movie that like really hit me and how it's presenting its story but putting it in this horror context and I think it's just another example of how these horror movies are such important places for not just processing like trauma but like really showing what like different kinds of like trauma that people don't think about in terms of like experiences of toxic exes and also like putting different faces to that experience. And again, like I didn't think it was going to be in my top 10, but I just th- thinking about it and after rewatching it, it's just, I think there's just something so special about this movie that I, I wanted to put it so high up. Um, especially after like making my own movie this year about similar topics and it just, you know, it felt like a movie that was really important to me in a lot of reasons this year. I got really personal with my top 10 this year. And that's, I let, and so, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, Soft Liquid Center is my number two. Love that. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's a good movie. All right. Number one. So this surprised me because I did not care for this filmmaker's last movie. And I was like, Leave it to David Gordon Green to make me a believer in The Exorcist. I'm going to fucking piss on your face. I was... <laughs> you had me for like a couple seconds and then you said David Gordon Green and I was like, uh, fuck you. Fuck you. I honestly have not even seen Exorcist Believer yet. <laughs> oh, even funnier. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus I had Christ. to look up. I had to look. I was literally looking up. I was like, what is the title of this movie? Because I knew it was Exorcist oh, something. Oh, my God. <laughs> so there we go. No, my favorite. Uh, my number one is Hoy Sarah, the Bone Woman. Okay. I was like, I was like, wait, is it really not going to be? I was like, oh, what? And then, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> you had me in the first half. Not going to lie. <laughs> so there's this moment in Hoy Sarah where the narrative takes a turn and goes into the past to show us Valeria's teen years. And moments like this typically do not work for me much in the same ways that I don't like prequels. But this moment recontextualized everything that came before 
as we see Valeria as a queer, rebellious, anti-establishment punk teen listening to rock music and being in love with a woman. And it was at this moment that Huesera became not a movie about pregnancy or unwanted pregnancy for me, but became about compulsory heterosexuality. The undesirable pregnancy is just a symptom of the much larger issue in which a queer woman was forced into hiding her queerness and accepting heteronormativity as a way of life. And I, it adds such like a heartbreaking element to the film because the demon becomes what Valeria is, conf- is confronting this demon about her own heteronormativity that she's dealing with as a way of life. And I think it really frustrated me this year when I saw a lot of reviews that kept talking about the horrors of pregnancy or unwanted pregnancy, because I do think this movie delves deeper than just a pregnancy oh, horror yes. film. Absolutely. It's definitely on the docket in this movie, but I think that it is merely a symptom of something deeper that, um, that she is exploring and not to promote my site, but one of the reasons, one of the reasons I loved reading Perperina's article about Hoysera that she wrote for this year's pride fundraiser, um, where she talked about compulsory heterosexuality and this movie. And I was, it got me thinking about how too often queerness in horror is seen as like the horror aspect of it, particularly with like older films where we see like, Queerness or queer subtext is introduced as sort of the other that must be vanquished so that heteronormativity can survive. And here, the horror is actually coming from that idea of forced heterosexuality and the brave decision that she makes by the end to leave stability, to leave her family, to leave her Mm -hmm. husband, to leave this traditional thing of what society says we should expect for women to pursue an unknown future is like is an antidote to those movies for me. And so... I do think this movie is a whole lot more than people kind of give it credit for. And it does have some very frightening image uh, moments and some evocative imagery. And I, it's literally, I cannot stop thinking about this movie and the implications of what it's trying to say. And so for me, that is why on a very personal level, this is my favorite film of the year. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Shockingly, uh, as you probably have already guessed, my favorite film of the year is When Evil Lurks, which was actually yep. also a surprise. I legitimately thought like Skinnamarink was going to be my favorite movie of the year. Same. And these two fuckers were like <laughs> um, throwing but, wrenches, but which I appreciate, though, like mm-hmm. as much as Skinnamarink hit me so deeply, I think just like the filmmaking in these two also like mm. whatever. It's a whatever. it's all again arbitrary, but it's every when arbitrary. Evil mm-hmm. Lurks again, is this, like, Demian Rugna, given resources, given more to, like, you know, given more, like, kind of scope to play, creating this fucking nuts world that he just throws us into that is so deeply planned and depraved and weird and mm. gross and mm. unafraid. And, like, again, like, with Megalomania, like, and a lot of movies on my list this year aren't afraid to push at taboos and push kind of through what we expect. And when evil lurks breaks so many taboos about who is allowed to be hurt and killed and what is allowed to happen to certain kind of like demographics in movies, um, AKA fuck them kids and fuck them kids. 
I think there are obviously some kind of questionable politics around disability here. And, you know, that's, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah like that is incredible. I just want to want to like earmark that just so people know, like, I love this movie. It is not without its problems. I under like, I yeah. think there's some like, sorry, my husband just like scurried by like a gremlin. Um, <laughs> this is really funny. But that be, like, I just think Demian Rugna just like knows what he's doing so well and the way that he so assuredly creates these work. And it's like, I, I, I see this and like, I hold this kind of next action horror in the high desert just in terms of like making these really interesting worlds that you want to be a part of and know more yeah. about and really getting you interested in the lore. I, and like, I don't, I think pe- there's people complained about like lore stuff, but I'm like, no, this is what I, this is my shit. Same. It's like, just I love being just like thrown into the middle and they say things yeah. like you know like they just are people know them and you're like ah and I just love being able to like be a part of that world and join the characters and piecing stuff together I just like it's not an experience for everyone but like I love that experience and between that and just like the way it was willing to push so many boundaries I saw this at 8am at Fantastic Fest it was like <laughs> I can't, I've said this a couple times but that is the that is better than fucking coffee watching that movie at 8 o'clock in the morning because holy shit that this movie this is what like it's transgressive and again like we can argue back and forth about what transgressive horror is until we're blue in the fucking face but i think especially for like what kind of mainstream slash indie mainstream horror is this is transgressive we have there are obviously more transgressive movies out there but in terms of like what is getting a lot of attention what is kind of in like the zeitgeist for both horror fans and and kind of leaking out of it like it is pretty transgressive it is. It, no, it is incredibly transgressive. And I think mm-hmm. that it's a really cool sign between like this and the megalomaniac. Like I, I'm hoping that even though we are sitting within a pretty squarely puritanical, weirdly puritanical kind of media situation right now, it does feel like kind of horror, as is always true, is starting to move in the opposite direction of pushing more transgressive boundaries. And I'm just like, so fucking excited to see what this continues to look like for the genre. So I mean, like fucking Skinner made a million dollars at the box office this year. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, talk about transgressive theatrical cinema, like in a different kind of way. Obviously, people are hungry for something that's different, something that's weird. And I think, I mean, look at our top tens. Like, weird is what people want. Or, not, not I mean, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but people love weird. We shouldn't yeah. be afraid of weird and of different and yeah. of original and of disgusting. And I think we're seeing a trajectory of that right now in the indie space. And I'm hoping that kind of either leaks out into more mainstream or that people who are seeing stuff like more people will flock to it especially as like you know we have more tiktok people i mean like speaking what you will about tiktok influencers they are do they are spreading the gospel of some of these they sure are which like i respect that you know i'm not like whatever you feel about that there are big people spreading the word about movies like this and that kind of gives me hope for maybe what the future of horror might look like so the one yeah. thing that came to mind as you were talking was um, the way that it sort of throws you into the world reminds me a bit. We've talked about fantasy reminds me of reading a fantasy novel where like mm-hmm. you're just sort of thrown into a good fantasy novel. I should say not one that explains every little bit of peace and yeah. knowledge to you, but a good fantasy novel that sort of throws you into this new world and expects you 
keep up. Let's just go. We're not going to fill everything in. You don't need to know everything. And that's what I love about this movie as well. I love that the world building is just so absolutely fantastic where it leaves you wanting more. Like I would love to see another movie set in this world. I know. I so badly like I want to see what it's like in the cities. Like I want to know what Mm -hmm. happened everywhere else, which is like the hard part about making a world like this because then people are like, I want more. And you're like, I right. didn't want to write more. But it's like, like <laughs> you gave me too many thoughts and ideas of things. So yeah, man, Demi and Ragna really knows how to fucking scare people. He's he really, really does. Good. And he, he's really good. He's a really nice guy. And I think I said this before, but I'll say it again. I ran into him on the elevator stone with an armful of fast food at my, in my hotel in Austin because we were, he was coming back from something and I was writing in my room and I ordered late night food and me, him and his wife were on the sick off on the same floor and he was right across the hall from me and I was absolutely zooted. <laughs> That's hilarious. It was really funny. Uh, he's someone I would love to chat with. Yeah, he's really nice. He's really funny. He's just like, I said, hi, nice to meet He's like, hopefully you're not scared of me. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we had more, a little bit more overlap than I expected. We did. I also love that we had, like, no, none of us. We didn't have, like, any of the franchises in our list. Here's the thing. I don't think, I, the more I thought about Scream 6, the less I liked it. I think it pulled its yeah, punches. Yeah, That's the thing. Don't, if you think about Scream 6 too hard, you start realizing how much you don't like it, which is why I've not really thought about Scream 6. I'm like, no, I don't need, like, I liked it. I don't want to, like... I don't want to think about it any harder because I don't want to fully ruin it for myself. But yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry, I just, I didn't like Evil Dead Rise as much as everyone else. I did not like it. I thought it was fine. Yeah. But again, it was really good year for like original weird ass stuff. So like, if you listen to this and you're not a big horror, like you're not as big and you, you watch a lot of like horror, but you don't dive into indie stuff as much. Maybe use this is helpful to help you start diving into some more indie stuff. Please, yeah, Hopefully. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, wow, what a wow! I cannot believe it's the end of twenty twenty three, and we oh. now wrap. That's very or now twenty twenty four beginning slash end of twenty twenty three. Yeah, I mean, we're like we're on the twenty eighth as we're recording this, so it's the very end of yeah, the of the, of the year, year for us. And I I think this was a really interesting year. It, it was, was, it was really hard. It was hard for me to make this list though because like while I think that some of my top five was easily knocked like locked into place for me. There was a lot of really good stuff, but there was a lot less of stuff that was like, Ooh, this is definitely going to be on my list. This was definitely going to be on my list. You know what I mean? Like it was weird. Yeah. I see. I can see what you mean about that for sure. Great stuff. I'm not disparaging any of the films that came out this year. I, I just, I also think like a lot of the stuff that came out in theaters was just like very mid like, you know very what I mid. mean? Like, mm-hmm. there was just, like, a lot of very mid stuff this year mm-hmm. in terms of, like, the bigger releases for the most part. Sorry. Yeah, this was no Barbarian year. No, it was not. Yeah, I think that's what's hard. I think I think 2023 was a really good year for, like, smaller releases. I think this was mm-hmm. the year where a lot of things, like, there was not a lot of big, like, theatrical stuff except for, like, Skinamarink and... And most of those were limited releases, too. Yeah. So it's just like, I think this year was like the year kind of showing like indie horror streaming on like Shudder and other places is like, there's some really cool stuff happening in those spaces that are worth checking out more than 
what big businesses think. It makes me curious to see what's going to happen next year because we did have yeah. such a long strike between the writers and the, yeah. the actors that like I know it's going to be indie interesting. films could be a big could be big next year. I'm curious. Watch my movie. <laughs> <laughs> Watch my movie. Um, anyway, <laughs> shameless plug. Da, da, da. Yeah, that's been our 2023 in horror. Um, thanks for listening, y'all. I mean, if you, what do you think? Be nice. Don't be mad if we ranked things and you didn't like it. Uh, tell us what your favorites were and be nice about it. Uh, you can let us know Don't by sending us. Don't come after me, Scream fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast@gmail.com, or uh, you can reach out to us on social media. I am at mbmcandrews on Twitter and at mb.mcandrews on Instagram. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful everywhere. Obviously, don't forget to follow the podcast on the social media. Uh, we are at Scarred Podcast on Twitter and Blue Sky and at Scarred for Life Podcast on Instagram. So um, please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And I can safely say that by now, um, we are not going to hit the 200 for me to watch Infested. So Carter, the ball is literally in your in your court. Yeah. If you want me to watch this movie. So, but please still give us a rating and review if you enjoy what we do. And if you want to help support us, we are in Patreon. We're doing fresh wounds. We're doing all this fun stuff. So please help support us. Please. Uh, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. Have a happy new year. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.